Shut up and sit down. I do take off my shirt sometimes. There you go. That's what we were waiting for. Wiki wow. Well, the beauty is that uh, since you can't hear the song, you were completely offbeat. Really? However, what's the difference? That's true. I'm always offbeat. <laughs> and I'd like to, you know, I'd like to thank my friend Fat Tire for making me offbeat today. Uh, they're not a sponsor. I don't think no, you can say I've that. Got, I've got about half a beer to go. They're still not a sponsor. Two Moscow mules, not whiskey sours. You're gonna turn my yeah. I'm, I'm turning you down because you're yelling now into the. I'm mic. not. I'm just excited because I love I love booze. Excited and yelling. Ow. Uh So welcome to the New Utah podcast. Good to have you. Yay. <laughs> uh, it is the uh, 14th episode of the New Utah podcast. <sighs> Whoa. Can I don't know what that was, but Ow. the big one four and, and recorded from uh, my. <laughs> I guess it's a studio now. It is a studio. It's official. There are microphones. There's headphones. It's, it's a like a soundboard. It's, it's official. It's really like a uh, transformer because it went from office at about three to studio. And and you know, podcast listeners, we care about your sensitive eardrums. So what we have done is bought the highest caliber of soundboards and the finest caliber of microphones and they've even got these sweet muffs so that i can make sweet sweet love to each and every word <sighs> so speaking so you, of sweet you, sweet saying, love stop chewing on my muff you, <laughs> that's what i was gonna say <laughs> you're making sweet love to these muffs that was dirty <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna press my lips against this <laughs> let's get to the introductions josh how about we start with you because he hasn't talked enough already i know i think yeah. Uh, thank you, uh, podcast listeners. This is Joshua Butterfield, entrepreneur, which is the Frenchest I can possibly muster under the <laughs> circumstances. Uh, comic book writer. That was a there was a K on the end of that comic book, but uh, the whiskey sour took it off the edge. You're still not having whiskey sours. Hasn't been a whiskey sour yet. Uh, Moscow Mule, tomato, <laughs> tomato. You and should bring. Next week, you should bring the blended whiskey sour stuff. I make a really good whiskey sour. You do not know it's whiskey. But let's not bring the shitty whiskey. Done. I have good whiskey. I've I have Gentleman's Jack. I've never seen it. Blow it out So your next ass. to Josh. So, yeah, next uh, to Josh is Jessica, our event mistress. All the good whiskeys at my house in my closet, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to go in your closet. Yeah, I'm Jessica, the <laughs> mistress, also the holder of the whiskey. And scotch, right? Most, actually, it's all scotch, let's be honest, but whiskey without an E. <laughs> so I'm Jeremy, uh, Utah Transplant, entrepreneur, owner of Salt City Home Designs. Happy to be here this evening, and we have with us an esteemed guest who I would like to take half a second to introduce himself. My name is Viet Pham. I'm a, a chef restaurateur here in Salt Lake City, Utah. Celebrity chef. Oh my gosh, we're so lucky to have such a celebrity chef in the house with us. <laughs> studio. We're in the studio. In the studio, I beg your pardon, with us tonight. Uh, we also have me. Uh, 
This guy that's probably going to jab at Josh Why most of the Why do you sound night. so sad, Chris? Uh, I'm not Stop sad. sounding sad, Chris. I'll pinch your cheeks. I love you. You've got a beard. I'm actually really happy. My uh, daughter's coming home from college for the first time tomorrow. Uh, so it'll be good to see her. Haven't seen her in a couple weeks. What school are you going to? Uh, Southern Utah University. Which, incidentally, uh, brings us to uh, our first event of the week. The University of Utah is opening their football season Thursday against Southern Utah University, who I did not know was a uh, Division One school. Wait, which which team is your is your daughter part of? Uh, SUU. Go SUU. But I'm a Utes fan. Also, go Utes. <laughs> so whoever wins, it's all good. Yeah, for me it is, and I actually don't think my daughter gives a rat's ass about football. So. <laughs> she will. She will. She starts dating the football players. So she is not coming here for the game. She's coming here for Comic-Con. We'll talk about that in just a second. There's another really cool event going on this weekend. Take it away, Jess. Yes. Josh, give her the microphone. This weekend is the Soldier Hollow Sheepdog <laughs> Classic Championship. I can't see what just occurred. Which is everybody. She literally ripped the microphone from Josh's hand and pulled it as far away from it as she could. <laughs> I feel betrayed. <laughs> feel controlled. It's more like she ripped that out of his mouth. <laughs> oh, that is right. I can't get this close to my mouth. All right, so the sheep jo- excuse me, the sheepdog championship is up at Soldier Hollow this weekend. Starts on Friday and runs through Labor Day on Monday. It is a an international event. It's are, actually really cool. There are forty four border collies that are competing uh, from USA, Scotland, Wales, and Canada. People That's come from Canada, all over the world to attend this. Yeah, if you've ever seen Babe, uh, it's kind of like what happens in Babe, only with dogs, not a pig. Not a pig. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> so, um, it's actually really cool. They have 13 minutes to get these dog to for the dogs to get the sheep into their pen, and they check everything from precision, and it's. I'm I'm going for my first time this weekend. I'm really excited. So Friday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the tickets are fourteen. So they're actually thirteen ninety nine for adults. I'm not quite sure. There's like taxes or something added onto that. Um, and eight ninety nine for kids. And then Monday with Labor Day, it's a little bit more expensive. It's seventeen. I'm rounding up. That that's what we in marketing call um, pricing. I don't know. Is there beer at the place where the things? Oh my god! I've never been, so I wouldn't be able to answer that for you. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, you're gonna get relegated to one drink before yes. the show now. Yes, I am. I'm fine. <laughs> so there's also some other events. There's gonna be local food vendors as well as acrobatic dogs. There's a raptor show. There's also a Navajo rug weaving demonstration, which if you've ever been to one up at Soldier Hollow, it is really amazing to watch them work on their rugs and sometimes even have them for purchase but make sure that your wallet is really fat. Uh, so the last event is really the big event. It's, I'm uh, holding this until we get to Josh's part. I have a lot to say about Comic-Con. Yeah, so do I. So it is Comic-Con. Comic-Con officially starts uh, Thursday. Uh, it goes through Saturday. Woot! <laughs> One thing that's a little different about this Comic-Con, so we have two huge celebrities coming uh, Mark Hamill and William Shatner. For those of you that don't know, that's Luke Skywalker and the original Captain Kirk. 
You know, people have to put their <laughs> mouth near that I didn't, nose phone. My nose was not actually super on it. You could have, like, just accidentally sneezed and it would have been covered in I would not have accidentally sneezed on you, my podcast listeners. So, if you've been to Comic-Con before, <laughs> most of the big celebrities are in the Grand Ballroom. Um, they've now made that the Grand Ballroom instead of splitting it into two. Uh, but Mark Hamill and William Shatner had such huge interest that they have now rented out the Vivint Smart Home Arena for Did them. you know it actually goes above and beyond that? So, they want to... Essentially outdo San Diego Comic-Con. Nothing like this has ever been done before. Yeah, they want to break the record for the largest panel ever at a Comic-Con, I think, right? So they're hoping to get 20,000. I I think they have a good chance of doing it. I mean, they had 50,000 tickets sold. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it because I'm not on the panel. Now, if they (laughs) announced that I was on the panel, I think we might. I think if one of them listened to this podcast, they would take you off the two panels you're already on. <laughs> with you. Jerk. <laughs> uh, so they're doing it in the Vivid Smart Home Arena. Now, normally Thursday is kind of like a half day. They don't start until 1 or 2. But these panels are at, at 10 and 11, I think, right? Uh, roughly. 11. Yeah, 11 and 12. 11, and they're, they're expecting people to line up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Whoa. Yeah, so big deal. Um, it's worth going if you care about Luke Skywalker and, and Captain it's not, Kirk. it's not a moderated panel either. Brian Young put in for it, and Luke Skywalker said, mm, I'm going to do this on my own. So this is really cool because <laughs> we are, I mean, in the Star Wars genre, you have basically kind of the esoteric, like, we're not really going to define what makes things work. It's the Force. It's kind of nebulous, right? And in the Star Trek no, world... it's not nebulous. Can okay, midichlorians... It does Bacteria. not exist. That is so <laughs> stupid. We're we're actually going to remove uh what's his name from the whole No, you you can't. That's You have to Mitochlorians are stupid. For gen- for the generation that grew up with those as Star Wars, you can't. They're they're a valid part of the stuff. He does I have, that when he gets drunk. I have allergies. Do you want some Claritin? I've taken some. <laughs> uh, so you can't discount those first episodes, but this this is really huge to do an arena panel. It's, it's really kind of unheard of. Are they hoping to fill the whole entire? Yeah, their goal is to yeah. do. They're going to do a three sixty thing. They, they want to. So fill you all don't. 20, in order to go to this panel, you don't have to VIP. You don't have to gold. It doesn't matter what day you have your ticket for. You can go to both the Shatner and the Hamill panels say that three times really fast and and it's interesting to know the vendor floor still doesn't open until after those panels are done so they actually have some different entrance mechanics initially like the original uh south entrance and uh what is it the east entrance those are going to stay open for everyone um but they're going to do an entrance on the north side and the west side for vip and they do a they're doing a special crazy fan experience for those as well they get like a photo op and signed autograph and all that kind of crap. So the experience, the Mark Hamill experience was like $425. And I think, what is that? A photo, an autograph. I don't know if there's anything else included besides. And special seating inside this. Sure. This but that, that sold out like in. Super quick. Maybe 30 minutes. Probably a high five and maybe some lightsaber dueling. I don't know. 
I don't, I'm speculating here, but lightsaber dueling is probably on the agenda. So, you know, speaking of lightsaber dueling, um, last year they had a really cool vendor on the floor uh, that did custom lightsabers. That line was long the whole time. Yeah, it, it was never short. Unless you got there in the early, like, VIP gold hours, that line was, was super long, probably a couple hours. But really cool stuff in that booth. I don't know if they're going to be here again, but I encourage you, even if you just get a single-day pass... Go and check out the vendor floor. It's a lot. Of, it'll take you a whole day to walk through it and look at everything. The vendor floor is always fun and exciting, and there's always different stuff. And sometimes stuff. you get lost and you miss your panels. That happens. Yes. Yeah. So do you guys know that Viet was at the very first Comic-Con three years ago? It sure was. <laughs> what was your panel? I think it was um, focused on... I don't know, people that have been on reality TV. Utah people that, yeah, had been on reality TV shows. And I think at that time, I've done, I did two shows, I think. Two or three, uh, two or three shows at that time. Yeah. That's amazing. That's exciting. That's awesome. So how did they uh, how did they ask you to get on there? So a gentleman by the name of Ryan Call, who's, I think he's one of the head guys, or one of the top guys at the Comic-Con, he uh, contacted me and... You know, uh, offered me some tickets to Comic Con, and I've never been, so you know, um, why not? And the panel is pretty cool because one of my other friends was on the panel, so uh, you know, we got to meet a lot of really cool people, and that's where I met Jessica. And um, your brother was wearing a chai yeah, t-shirt. Yeah, he was wearing the chai t-shirt, and you totally <laughs> shouted him out, and then it, I'm pretty sure it made his whole con. He's actually not even going this year, so. <laughs> but he's still wearing the t-shirt. He doesn't watch. Uh, well, that's great. Uh, there's in the vendor floor. It's split up into some sections. Uh, one of the big sections is Artist Alley. Uh, that's a the place I encourage you to visit the most. Uh, lots of local artists, lots of non-local artists. You get a lot of uh, comic book artists. And I say buy something on the artist floor. Support our local artists. And a lot will commission work as well. Yeah. So. There's a few panels I'd like you to go, or a few booths I'd like you to see personally. So Salt City Strangers, uh, personal friends of ours, a comic book that both Jeremy and Josh have written for. Uh, they will have a booth. Yep. Um, they'll be selling issue number five, which just came out. Five just came out. So I'm sure they'll have one through five, plus some of the mashups. Is, and Is five the goal issue or is that its own separate issue it's its own separate issue that's also going to be for sale and i believe jc carter will be in the booth yes in fact if you are dying to meet the most crazy person of this podcast i will be part of that table and that booth (laughs) pretty much all day friday uh except for the period of time where i am doing the panel is this the part where he gets to talk about his panel because he's been waiting all night no all night not yet denied Sit back. Sit so back. There's a few other booths. Uh, Rye Bread, who is the uh, artist that did Rye Bread Studio. Who did our artwork. Oh, yes. So Ryan Davis did our logo, and he will be there for the very first time. And I think he's on an end cap, which yeah. is awesome. So it's Teal 11. And if you, if you like the new Utah podcast logo, stop by and say, hey, I saw that logo. It's fantastic. But give him some sort of props to let him know that his work is being acknowledged and seen. You know, the other thing to make sure with a lot of these artists, Salt City Strangers, 
Rye Bread Studios. A lot of times when they're just sitting there on the floor, if you want them to draw something, if you like their style, most of these guys will do commission work right on the vendor floor. Uh, they'll also have stuff for sale, a lot of prints. They may have original artwork. Cap Martin usually has a few original pieces. She's awesome. Did you see – so not to totally derail our conversation here, but did you see what she posted yesterday? I I actually reposted. She did the Willy Wonka um, Chocolate River – yeah. It oh, was so awesome. cool. It was so cool. How timely, too, with Gene Wilder. Well, it? I think, I'm pretty sure she did it. Didn't she do it for it, or is it one she already had? I I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I can't imagine she did it for yeah. it that quick. since he died yesterday. Her stuff is awesome. So so to kind of give a quick shout-out to her, what she does is she finds old art, right? Like it, yeah, like old, old, old at flea markets, stuff like that. And then she paints cool stuff over the top of it. Generally pop culture, so, so Super Mario, Star Wars. I have a TIE Doctor fighter Who. stuck in a barn. We have a few of her pieces here in the house. They are so cool. If you get a chance, stop by, pick up some of her art. Support support local. Support, support local <laughs> artists. So lot, lots of vendors going to be there. Truffle Cottage will be there. Uh, the vendor floor is great. Artist Alley, though, if you go, pay for some of their art. Talk to them. They Just so you know, Cat will be in booth 401 and 500. Yeah, Yay, so Cat always, always gets a big end cap in the actual vendor floor and gets away from Artist Alley a little bit. Um, I would also recommend a couple things. Take hard covers the day you're going to buy art to stick the art in so that it stays safe. Uh, if you're into posters and you're good with rolling up prints, take a poster tube. Well worth your while. It'll keep your stuff safe. You can still wander the convention. Uh, a few other things going on at the convention, just some stuff that you might want to uh, pay attention to. So a lot of stars. One that I wasn't <laughs> aware of was uh, Millie Bobby Brown. That's a huge get for the con. Wait, is it Millie, Millie Vanilli and Bobby Brown together? <laughs> no. No, it's a young actress. Because <laughs> yeah. that would be badass. I mean, someone would be lip syncing, but it would be good. She was not even a twinkle in anyone's eye when they were around. Yeah. Bummer. No, she was. I don't even think she was a sperm yet. She may not even have been an egg. Like it was. <laughs> I don't even know if she was that. Uh, she's a very young actress, but um, did you, have you, yeah, have you guys watched Stranger Things? Yeah. So she is. The oh my god! Yes. Show. I watched the first episode today. Uh, apparently, it's a really big show that I didn't know about. That's great. <laughs> so, are you love, how are you are you all the way into it? Oh, I finished it when it first came out. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. No spoilers, but did you love it? Because I've seen one episode now. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, uh, so she's here. That's a huge get. A um, lot of stars from the Arrow. Danny Trejo is coming, you guys. Danny yeah, and Henry Danny. Winkler, again. He's amazing. Machete. I don't know that anyone really cares about the Fonz other than I you. do. He's so nice the first time that I met him. I said other than you. Wait, is that the Fonz? That's the yeah. Fonz. Henry Winkler. Hey, here comes the boom. Hello. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I love the Fonz. In fact, I've modeled my entire life after the Fonz. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a lie or an exaggeration. Uh, so some other things. Um you know, there's a couple of parties that they do on Friday and Saturday night. I hear they're a lot of fun. I know the Saturday night one is a big costume party for all the cosplayers because the cosplay contest is on Saturday. And if you've it's never like watched it. like a pre-show? Huh? It's like a pre-show? No, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's like a catwalk for all the cosplayers. <laughs> <laughs> on the catwalk. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Shake your little thing on the catwalk. 
you know that the catwalk. That is one thing that uh, Salt Lake Comic Con does really well. If you talk to people that go to other cons around the country, Salt Lake Comic Con, the cosplay that occurs here is out of this world. So somebody posted a fake article on Facebook this week that Comic Con put out a press release that they were enforcing a light dress code and I was devastated because of my cosplay and I was like I text my cousin and I was like does this mean that I can't do my cosplay oh, and he's like it looks on, like it. what I'm not cosplay? T- I can't tell you no you have to tell me well like like you have to wear tights like if you can't um essentially can't really like cross dress and that if you do they're like anyways it ended up being fake but I I'm generally a researcher so I don't believe stuff online like that but I was had I was had and, you know, we're talking a lot about the panels and the, the celebrities, <laughs> but going for the cosplay is worth the price of admission because it is also good. And you know who goes above and beyond every single uh, Comic-Con is our dear panelist and co-conspirator, Jess. She has some of the best cosplay because that's what i want to know it's it's not it's not something that's super obvious you have to kind of be the inside crowd but if you spot her and you know it then you know you're part of the cool crowd it's true. and american I'm, horror story stuff has been awesome can, can i say one thing about the cosplay though i think it unfortunately needs to be said uh you'll see signs all over the convention probably cosplay does not equal consent be respectful of the men and the women they put a lot of work into these costumes, even if they look ridiculous. Still, be respectful. Um, some of them aren't great. Most of them are. But you guys uh, don't realize how much time goes into. Last year, it took me probably three months to sew my dress. Yeah, you know, and these people are building armor and wings, and I mean, functional wings. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, right after this Comic-Con, they're yep. going to start working on the next costume well, next year. Yeah. And what's crazy is the people that have three and four costumes for the con. I'll usually try to do two. Do you enter the contest? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. When I do my cosplay, uh, just like Josh was saying, I always try to think of something that is going to be obscure that nobody else would maybe think of, I mean, yes, we're talking 50,000 people. Um, but so far I have achieved that in every single one of my cosplays. And I don't think this year will be any different. So, so I'm excited. Um, so no, so I, I did Myrtle Snow from American Horror Story. Uh, and I carried around a sign that said Balenciaga. If you're f- familiar with that season, <laughs> that's what she yelled when she was being burned at the stake. And I had the same, like a similar red dress that I had a friend sew. Um, I was Ace Ventura when he's at the mental hospital with the tutu and the boots. <laughs> there was one other ace, but it was the like Hawaiian shirt ace. And he, he saw me and he's like, Oh, I heard about you. <laughs> and, uh, I did a cat bug, which is, uh, uh, it's from a series called The Bravest Warriors that's on YouTube. And they, uh, some of the similar artists from Adventure Time, but he's this little, blue cat with ladybug wings but i did a pinup version of that and i had my little wings and and <laughs> i don't know so thursday i do the i've done the same outfit every single year thursday i was wearing my captain america shirt and i have a headband that says pow that i get more compliments on than any of my cosplay which is really cool but 
uh, yeah, this year will be no different, I hope. And I typically show up naked as as Invisible Man. <laughs> and if people can spot me, I'm like, and they say something to the fact that I'm naked, I'm like, you can see me? That is peculiar. No one can typically see me. Invisible Boy from Mystery Invisible Man. Invisible Boy with... Which part of you can they not see? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. So the the last, we'll talk about a panel in a second. There, there, like I said, are always panels in that grand ballroom. Um, the one panel in there that I will not miss anymore is the Twisted Tunes panel. If you've not gone, it's a whole bunch of celebrity voice actors that do cartoon voices. So Jess everything, Harnell. From, yeah, Jess Harnell from the Animaniacs. Uh, guy that did what was his name? Uh, Bob Kinney that does SpongeBob. So I actually haven't been, but I was at a panel next door to it the first time they did you it, and couldn't you couldn't hear even yourself. hear you couldn't hear the panel at so all. So what they do is they get all these voice actors on stage. There's usually five or six of them, and they read a script from something else in cartoon voices. So last year they read the Force Awakens script, script, and so it was like SpongeBob reading the lines of Chewbacca. Um, you know, Gary, the snail reading lines, um, Animaniacs, of course, that sort of thing. Uh, this year, they're going to be reading a uh, Harry Potter script from the Order of the Phoenix, I think. Uh, but it's hilarious. It's about two hours long, and it's definitely worth the time. It's the one panel I'll recommend to anyone that, that hasn't been. Uh, and then our own panelist here, uh, Joshua Butterfield. All right, Josh, been. have at it. I have been on needles and pins to talk about this. I believe so- it's pins and needles. Well, unless you are... Oh, hello. Our drink mistress has arrived. And we love her. So, I am actually on two panels. Do you have a vagina? (laughs) That's rhetorical. It's my wife. She has a vagina. Last week, he was talking about your panties, and now he's talking about your vagina. So, I tried to stick up for you. It's my wife. It's a rhetorical question. I was saying... You have a vagina, therefore Josh thinks you're a mistress. Yeah, but it sounded creepy <laughs> instead of like mysterious. So stop that. We all know she has a vagina. She's a woman. Shit. Okay. So was this pointed too because you would like another? Or yes, please. Not until eight o'clock. It is seven fifty nine. Not until eight o'clock. Oh, for shit's sake. So what our pod administrator is trying to tell you. Oh, faithful pod listeners, is that I actually have two panels at the Salt Lake Comic Con that don't involve uh, speaking in weird voices in tunes. I have a Saturday 2 p.m. panel in which we talk about some important things, and a. <laughs> a, a I do. It's super important. Tell me how important it is. Can you describe it for me? Please? I would be delighted to. So Saturday at 2 p.m. we'll be talking about the 70s comic book era and what all happened and all that cool stuff. Are you going to get into the code? Oh, my gosh. it's I'm really congested. I apologize. It's allergies. but um, So, yeah, uh, Saturday, I beg your pardon, Friday... Wait. Tabletop gaming on a budget is Friday, my friend. It's yeah. Friday at eight. It's seven p.m. <laughs> this is why before we started, I asked you to write them down. I oh, did wrote the times down. I did write, write the down. times down, but yeah. With the description of what you're going to be talking. You about. guys suck. I know all of these panels. <laughs> you're going to be with Lee Cade. Yeah. And Mark. Yeah, and Mark Avo. Yeah. Mark Avo, by the way, is Robert another Neal, friend of ours. That if you have interest in his panels, very, very definitely want to sure. go see his stuff. How I like. 
if you if you want more information on Comic Con or panels, ask panels, Jess. Don't ask Josh. Well, you can go download their app because that's all she's looking at. And the app this year is actually really awesome and is keeping all of my panels instead of resetting every yeah, 30 yeah. minutes. Well, that was fixed last year, really. What's me? So, Via asked at a really great question. Uh, I have a, uh, a Friday at 7 p.m. panel called Tabletop Gaming on a Budget. And he looked at me with his gorgeous, because this guy is a handsome devil. <laughs> but he looked me right in the peepers of my soul and he said, isn't that fairly cheap already? Tabletop gaming no. is a really expensive hobby because you have to buy all the miniatures and paint them and then buy the rules. It is a, a terribly well, expensive hobby. To make your own game. Well, even even beyond that, it's if you buy board games, to have the kind of collection of board games that Josh has, it's a large investment. It's not just $15 for Monopoly. It's... Okay. I, I I was just thinking Jenga. I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if you just play Jenga, <laughs> you know, like, you're out like fifteen, twenty bucks. But if you if you really want to get into gaming okay. and tabletop, what's your most expensive game, Josh? So what you own one hundred and twenty five dollars is the most expensive game that I own, and I will tell you, Jenga is cool. But when you tie Jenga into role playing games, there's actually a system now that when something dramatic happens, you pull a piece out of the Jenga block. And if the block falls when you pull the piece, you die. And there so, you go. So that adds that is pretty intense. Extreme Jenga. Oh, that's a way to do tabletop on a budget. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's true. Interesting. Uh so last thing I'll say about Comic Con, obviously yeah. If you go into the Grand Ballroom, Chris Provost is like everyone's dad with his terrible jokes. But he's really I quite funny. I love Chris's jokes. Chris Provost, you're my hero. He's he's really quite entertaining. Who's so. who's Chris Provost? He's for the guy. our he people. He tells the best jokes. He he MCs the Grand Ballroom for the entire con, so he keeps the crowd occupied while you're waiting he's on celebrities for 45 man. minutes. Yeah. So he's he's good at his job. He tells really bad laffy taffy jokes. Does he do the sweet like uh, MC Hammer Hammer dance in the Hammer Pants? I bet he would if you asked him to. He would. I I'm asking now. If you're listening to this, <laughs> oh good sir, will you do the Hammer dance in the Hammer Pants? I don't know that he's in our boundless list. Oh, he will be listening. Oh, he will. Jess is writing it down so that uh, she can ask him. Jess knows everybody who's anybody. So let's get on to some news. Uh, just a couple of stories today. And then we'll talk to Viet a little bit more in depth. Uh, so the first story really has to do with uh, our friends over at BYU. So uh, whose friends? Well, they're not my friends. I think it's a despicable <laughs> institution. Not mine but. either. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a uh, they've been named on the uh, shame list over their LGBTQIA policies. I don't know. There's so many letters at the end of that now. Um, their shame list is really comprised of two criteria. Campuses are uh, either have a requirement for exemptions to Title IX, which is a, a federal education law that bans sex-based discrimination, or they have a history of discriminatory policies and rhetoric against LGBT students. And they applied for an exemption to that. How can you be exempt from that? We really want to discriminate against certain people, so we'd like to be exempt from the law that says we can't discriminate against those people. What the fuck? Well, so they're a private institution, and the one thing I will say about BYU is, honestly, they have a right to do whatever the fuck they want. As long as they don't take federal education dollars. They can there goes your whore mouth again. I'm disappointed. 
<laughs> that's all right. That's all right. I get I get a little uppity when I talk about bullshit like title. You know, bullshit. they have a really great business uh, program, and I'm telling you right now, half the small businesses in Utah graduated from BYU, and they also went on missions. And they went on missions. And I'm not talking about those elements. I'm talking about the school elements. So, dog. Here's the problem with BYU: girl gets raped. Girl reports rape to the police. Provo police tell BYU who should be investigating that rape, and instead they give her an honor code violation and put her on academic suspension. And that has happened many times. You know what happens to the male student? Nothing. Not a fucking thing. That is true. Your whore math. Josh was almost speechless for just... Yeah, because you can't argue with that. I mean, but I, I, I fully believe you can't look at the good of an organization and not look at the bad, and you can't look at the bad and not look at the good. Each needs to be weighed out differently and separately. So I've heard you say BYU has a good business college. Do they have anything else of value? Just uh, don't get raped while you're there. Yeah, I mean, go to don't business college and don't be gay. And or have a beard and or be raped. Yeah, so if you have a beard, you may not be able to take tests. I mean, it's pretty tight on our code. But they have every right to it. (laughs) (laughs) They have every right to it. They are a private institution. But I think this this kind of stuff is starting to really hurt them from a national perspective. They're always going to have some base of of Mormon students that want to go there, especially in the state of Utah. But their draw to non-LDS students is, is diminished dramatically. And it's all about their business college. And if they can't promote that across... I don't like, think it's just about their business college. It really is. <laughs> I mean, if you look at what BYU offers, the business college is really, really strong against other programs in the nation. But... For non-LDS people. I don't know, Josh. Their ballroom dance is pretty good. They have really good home economics type courses. Yeah. <laughs> Moving right along. So I'm not a fan, um, but it's good to know that they were on the shame list. Uh, incidentally, I don't know if you guys read as well, but they are also the least party of party schools in oh. the nation. Every year. <laughs> For 19 which, years. Which comes as a shock to everybody the in this room. <laughs> so you have to shave off your beard in time for the party. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple other stories. Uh, so we had the pleasure, as, as you know, if you, you listened. If you didn't listen, shame on you. Go back and listen to episode 13. Uh, Misty K. Snow was here. She is the Democratic candidate for Senate uh, in the state of Utah. Vote for her. Uh, this election season, but another big important race is the fourth congressional district, uh, which pits Mia Love against Doug Owens. Again. So this is Jim Matheson's former district. Um, he left the race uh, a couple years ago, retired from Congress. Doug Owens attempted to take on Mia Love two years ago, failed. Failed miserably. Uh, this year, though, they're expected to spend some big bucks. Um, they have sustained. Uh, advertising campaigns that are going to start hitting the airwaves uh, as early as Monday. I'm excited. I have already gotten mail from Mia Love oh, I've like been two weeks ago. For like a year. Josh tried. Didn't she try to friend you on oh Facebook personally? She's like trying. She's she's stalking me on Facebook. Josh Butterfield, please join me and be my friend and be a follower. And I'm like, no, I'm a Matheson guy. I'm voting for his ass. So yo, they've already doubled what they've spent in 2014. 
Uh, Love is spending at least $1.1 million, and Owens is over almost 700000 at this point. That's just according to their existing filings with the FCC. And the the problem with any Democratic file, uh, opposition to the, the Republican Party is that the Republican Party has deeper pockets. And so to get the advertising out there and the like the billboards and all that other stuff, it, so, it, it's a lot harder for these, these candidates. Well, so that's uh, interesting you say that because um, the only outside money so far uh, that has been reserved in, in terms of ad time is actually a Democratic. Uh, it's the Democratic Group House Majority PAC, and they've spent about just under $400,000 to advertise in Owen's favor. The Republican groups uh, are not likely to put money in this campaign. No, but she's the incumbent. She's got an advantage already, and she's in a very red state. So those are two feathers in her cap already. But she's in the most Democratic congressional district in the state. Again, this was Jim Matheson's district. This is your district. It's my district. Jess is in this district. I'm not voting for Mia Love. So one thing to consider is Matheson beat her, and then when he stepped out, um, the vote difference wasn't that huge. Five percent. Yeah, it it was not. In five percent, we're we're talking less than five thousand people. So, in, in terms of her win over Owen's last 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 election, so get out and vote. Uh, they're spending some money, some big money, for Utah anyway. And and honestly, we don't care how you vote, but for heaven's sake, just vote. if you've got to vote, if you've got a voice. Make it hard to get down to the voting uh, box and, and, and place your vote. So one last uh, bit of news for this week, and we'll kind of move on. Uh, climate change. Um, really, we're talking again about toxic algae. Poor Still Jeremy. a survivor. <laughs> Head count. The uh, follicle count looks good. He's still a charming devil in his... <laughs> Uh, salt and pepper gray along the sides. I think some of the hair he lost was uh, to Salt Lake City uh, Planning Commission. Yeah, it's been a long day. <laughs> uh, but uh, they're they're starting to figure out and kind of unwind maybe what's causing some of these climate change uh, pieces. One thing that they they think could be causing it, or excuse me, the toxic algae is uh, hot temperatures. So we had an extremely hot July. But- 18 days over 100, which is almost broke the record. It's August 30th, and it was almost 100 degrees yeah, it was today. Like, what, 95, 96 in parts? 97, according to my car, Juke Nukem. Your car is stupid. Also 102. Yeah. So where was 102? Downtown Salt Lake. Bam. Yeah, so big, and this is the end of August. We should not be seeing temperatures that high. So, uh, algae, uh, they're now, uh, Madsen Bay, Franson Boy Scout Camp, uh, State Park Harbor. They've all said, be careful around those waterways. There's big algae blooms there. They're much earlier than normal. East Lake is also one that's not listed on here that was part of it too. Yeah, so usually they see these blooms in like late September, October timeframe. Um, Josh has just fucked up one of the microphones. I have not. Stop touching it. <laughs> if you'd like to support Jeremy's bio-organic uh, suburban farm. Yes. Urban, urban farm. Urban farm. Please send $5 to Jeremy at uh, someimportantstuff.com because, <laughs> my God, 
If he doesn't have his bees and honey, we will have crappy parties for the next year. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. You are welcome. All right, so today with us we have Viet Phong. Uh, he is a local Utah chef. He's also somewhat of a celebrity, right? Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> somewhat. You got, what, 15 minutes of fame? A huge months? celebrity who smoked play. Okay, so if you're going to yell into the mic, just <laughs> step back. I'm not yelling in the mic. I am congested. That's different. No, raising your voice has nothing to do with your congestion. Dick. <laughs> uh, so, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Viet? So, I uh, I moved here to Salt Lake City about a little bit over eight years ago. Uh, I'm originally from the San Francisco Bay Area. And I moved out here, and the first city that I um, lived in was Provo, um, right across Oy. the street from BYU. <laughs> Oy. So, you know, I, I moved out here to help um, this guy open up a restaurant in downtown Provo uh, called Spark Restaurant Lounge. And um, I was there for about eight months. It didn't work out. Ultimately, what happened is that I got fired. Um, literally, like two days before I got fired. Whoa, 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 whoa. How could you possibly get fired? Did you just eclipse the skill of the main chef? I mean, how did that work? <laughs> so this is a brand new restaurant that I helped start up. And, you know, in the beginning, we just butt heads a lot. You know, um, this guy, he didn't have um, any experience in the restaurant industry. Uh, he was not very hospitable, you know. It was all about the bottom line. And ah. you do not get in this restaurant to become rich. No, no, no. no. That's, Most, that's rule number one. So I'm kind of in the restaurant business in a roundabout way. Um, my company does point of sale, so I work with a lot of restaurateurs. And you know, I was just about to ask you because I see this micro printer right here. I was like, why do you have this printer? <laughs> what company do you work for? Uh, it's a. Uh, Please don't tell me Aloha. No. Okay. No, no, no. We're a, a mobile POS company. We run on the iPads. It's a local company called well, Fig I'm, POS. I'm going to talk to you soon. Then. Well, we can talk afterwards. Right. That's that's fine. Um, so, how much experience? Where, where your Chris will take from? care of you, by the way. So, hopefully, you didn't come to Utah on a whim, go, I'm going to open a restaurant with some dude. In Provo. Never, you know, and clearly never have any background. What What's your background in terms of restaurant? You know, to be honest, it really was on a whim. You know, I, I don't have any roots in And. And you're not Mormon. Yeah, and I'm not Mormon. Yeah. And you moved right across from BYU. Exactly. That must have been a fun experience I lived in for you. Housing. Whoa! Yeah, well, was. <laughs> <laughs> that was co-ed. Is what you that are means. married yeah. to your profession, which is, exactly. by the way, shepping. M- married, <laughs> married housing means you get to have sex. That's really the only. Yeah. Thing. I saw a lot of it. I saw a lot of exhibitionists. Uh, I bet you did. <laughs> Wait, people walk around naked in BYU. Married couples do. That's what I learned all about undergarments. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So, you know, uh, my background originally is in finance. So before moving out here, I was working for uh, a software company as an analyst. Um, and before that, I was in banking. So where food came along, um, right after college, I, um, I enrolled myself into a culinary school in San Francisco called uh, the California Culinary Academy, which was absolutely a joke. This was like a one-year program. I, I want to say that I probably spent a third of that time surfing and sleep in my car. So it's kind of like Stephen Henniger's college? Exactly. It's, it's, it's like one of those. But, like, you know, back then, it was probably better than the schools now. You know? Um, 
<laughs> so, <laughs> just, so just wait a minute. Stuck his eye on the microphone. I lived in California, in uh, kind of near Sacramento. Are you telling me this that the uh, <laughs> the program was not valuable? It was not valuable. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What does Sacramento have to do with that? So I kind of commuted into San Francisco pretty much every day. <laughs> you sound like you're officially drunk, my friend. <laughs> I awesome. am I'm not drunk. I am congested. <laughs> you're both. You're both. I think, I think you may be allergic to alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> you are dicks. Except so, for our, our, our guest. So so back to back to you, <laughs> your story. Okay, so uh, I, I, I went to the CCA. And, uh, you know, what I really do credit the school for... Is not to be confused with the CIA. Yeah, not, not the CIA, <laughs> the CCA, which is the California Culinary Academy, which is no longer um, around. But what I do credit that program for is that they require you to do an internship. And um, I was very fortunate to get an internship with this uh, chef. His name was uh, is Laurent Ra. And I worked at this restaurant called The Fifth Floor. And he was um, one of the most exciting young and upcoming chefs at that time and uh, matter of fact he, he got Food Wine Magazine's Best New Chef the year that I started working for him and I just remember um, looking at the magazine and just kind of like fantasizing over like how amazing it would be to be on the cover of this magazine um, but yeah so I, I, I worked with this guy for you know a couple of years and um, it was one of the most difficult jobs I've ever taken you know it was uh, physically and emotionally you know, draining. I got my ass kicked every single day. Was- so why was it difficult? I mean, why was it emotionally draining? All right, so, you know, the first three months, I was an intern, so I worked for three days. I commuted an hour and a half to work each day. I parked about a mile away, and I walked to work. And as soon as I stepped foot in, as an intern, you're like scum of the earth. You're You're literally like beneath the gum that's stuck under the shoe you're like shit you know and um as an intern shit (laughs) as an intern you know you do like all the grunt work you're just treated like shit you know that's how the restaurant culture is unfortunately and um you know you have a choice you could either put up with that shit or leave you know and for me i don't know what the hell was wrong with me but i put up with it and i exceeded their expectations you know i just you know every single day that i walk to work i tell myself like you know today i'm not going to get yelled at uh i'm going to do my task a minute faster get everything done that way i could take on new tasks and um you know the chefs and the other cooks saw that and over time they developed respect for me and then i was offered a position there and you know like i I've, I've done a lot of different odd end jobs um, there has never, ever been a job where I really, really wanted to be better at, you know? And, uh, that's why I kind of hung on. And at that moment, I told myself, this is what I want to do. And then, um, after the second year or a year and a half or so, uh, the chef that I worked for, Laurent Gray, he, um, he decided to leave San Francisco, moved to uh, Chicago. And at that time, he had set me up with somebody to work with in Hafun Bay. And I was, I want to say 23 at the time. I decided to, uh, not to, to kind of take a break, you know. When when was that? When was twenty three years old? Well, that's rude. Two thousand and three. I'm 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 old. I'm actually thirty seven years old. <laughs> you're, sure, you're not old. Both you look like a twenty three year old with an athletic body. <laughs> you know, that's because I'm Asian. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was Asian because damn, you look good. 
So for those of you that don't know Josh's other role on this podcast is to hit on whoever the guest is. It doesn't matter. We, we that is right. not true. I will cut you both. <laughs> he's gender neutral. <laughs> Absolutely. I am a wife and she's beautiful. And why do you hit on everyone? Shush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um where was I at? I Half moon. Oh, so like you know, I decided as a young kid. I did not want to work seven days a week, 12 plus hours a day. So I just, you know, I went back into banking, which was what I was doing part time when I was going to college. And um, it allowed me to be with my family, hang out with my friends, go to the movies, party on the weekend rather than, you know, having to work. So you were and, supporting the Asian stereotype. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that and also like trying to keep up with the Joneses in the Bay Area, you know. Uh, <laughs> For sure. <laughs> for a second, I thought you had something really compelling to say. He, he always looks like he does, doesn't he? Yeah. Hey, I lived in the Bay Area. I know what it's like to keep up with okay. the Joneses there. By the way, Sacramento is not part of the Bay Area. And it's not really commutable. You yeah. know what? I lived in Concord and Walnut Creek, pal. Oh. <laughs> so don't See, make me flip this table and cut you, guess or not. But that's are both over the bay and over the hill. Exactly. Yeah. It's not part of the bay. Yeah. <laughs> I may cut this entire crew. <laughs> I love how people are from Sacramento. It's like, yeah, I live in the bay. I'm like, no, you live in like Inland Empire, man. <laughs> really shitty part of California. Yeah. It's like the armpit I'm cut of everyone California. but our guest here who is important. <laughs> who needs to finish telling his story of how he made it to Utah? Right. We got to get him to Utah, Josh. Yeah, so, you know, I, I ended up working for a bank, and then um, when the market kind of crashed, I ended up transitioning to uh, a software company. And here I am in a cubicle doing spreadsheets all day, every day. And I just, one day, I just told myself, I, I just can't imagine myself doing this for another three or five years. So at that time, my girlfriend, um, who was managing uh, all the interns for this other company, uh, one of the guys there is the guy from Provo. So when he was out there, he got to experience a lot of different restaurants and lounges. So when he went back to Utah, he had this idea of opening up a restaurant lounge to cater to the BYU students. So this is where I come in. So he learned about my past... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were yawning. <laughs> I am sneezing. I need to step out of the office. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So ultimately, that's how I ended up in Utah. He learned about my past. I moved out here, helped the guy open up the restaurant, and then ultimately, I was fired from this job. That you know, I've never been fired ever before from any job, but I got fired from this job. But things happen for a reason because. Um, Literally two days before I got fired, I was actually looking on Craigslist for a space just to kind of get my mind off of the shitty situation that I was in. I was I, I was working for a guy that just, you know, didn't understand hospitality. You know, he wanted to cut corners. And um, so I just often found myself, you know, kind of just fantasizing and just using my imagination and how I would do things if it were my... So um, I, I, I found this charming little house on, um, on uh, Craigslist, and I decided to drive up to Salt Lake City that Saturday, and I checked it out, took some pictures, met with the owners, and it was basically like this blank canvas with this parking lot in the back. And um, at that time, one of my favorite restaurants, you know, a few of my favorite restaurants in the Bay Area are uh, the French Laundry and this restaurant called Manresa, and they're all in little houses, and it's, it's really beautiful. So, I, you know, like, this is exactly what I wanted. But even then, at that time, there was nothing pushing me forward. 
until Monday, which I got a call. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a call. I came in and, um, I just, I, I figured that we're going to sit down and go over, you know, the week's, uh, menu and all that stuff. But he, he basically asked me, you know, he, uh, he fired me and, um, I was shocked, but at the same time, I was very relieved, you know, so, um, I went home. I thought about a, a, a few things and uh, I called my parents, let them know. And, um, I thought about the space that I saw and, uh, my parents gave me their blessings. And when I said blessings, they gave me a small loan. Awesome. And, um, literally that day I drove up to, uh, to Salt Lake City, signed the lease. And then, um, six and a half months later opened up Forge along with, um, my sous chef at the time. Yeah. So Forge. Cool. Yeah big restaurant in salt lake for a while yeah so unfortunately we just closed uh april 30th of this year um our lease ended the property actually got sold um to some different people and they had different plans for it so uh and at the same time you know it was time for me to get out of fine dining um i really want to do something that's more simple that's more approachable you know um don't get me wrong i love fine dining it's been like my entire career, my entire foundation. But at the same time, I feel like it's not, uh, it's not very conducive to like the Salt Lake dining scene. But at the same time, like, like nationally, like the, 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 the way the dining trends are headed, you know, a lot of chefs are getting out of fine dining restaurants and opening up more casual places, you know, the way, the way that they would like to eat, you know? So, um, now that Forge is closed, uh, I'm working on a different project called, uh, Pretty Bird. Which is a uh, a fried chicken restaurant. Um, that is so cool. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Nashville hot chicken style type of restaurant. But you need to talk about how Pretty Bird got its name <laughs> okay. because it's the coolest. So Pretty Bird is located downtown. Um, it's on Regent Street, which is um, on the east side of uh, Main Street, where the new Performing Arts Center is and the new building that's being erected right now. Um, about three and a half blocks away is where they filmed the scene. And Dumb and Dumber, oh. <laughs> little blind kid in the wheelchair, petting little Pete, the bl- the dead bird with the head that's taped yeah. on. He's like, pretty bird, pretty bird. <laughs> that yes. is awesome. That is so, so cool. So I'm sitting around thinking of like, what am I going to name this place? And I just remembered, you know, like, why don't we name it Pretty Bird? You know? <laughs> so, you know, so that's, that's how the name came to be. But uh, Pretty Bird, I'm hoping that we open sometime um, late this year or early uh, next year, 2017. I'll be first in line to eat at Pretty Bird. <laughs> no, All right, I'm going to welcome you with open arms. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he'll be there, but he won't be the first in line. And I'll have a couple of Moscow mules for you, too, because we are going to have a liquor license. Thank God. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> not with him, with a liquor license. You know, it's it, it's not a club license, so I'm not too worried, but uh, it's just going to be um, a restaurant license where we just serve beer and wine. So how have you navigated that process of getting a hold of a liquor license in a state that is not terribly friendly to getting that sort of access? You know, believe it or not, um, so at Forge, we had a limited restaurant license, which means that we could only serve beer, wine, um, and sake. And those licenses are readily available. You basically just fill out an application, pay an application fee, go before the board and you know state your case and they basically approve you um however club licenses are a lot harder to come by because they're based on population so um the only way that they'll release more applications or more licenses is if the application or is if the population grows sorry or the legislature changes a lot yeah, which i'm hoping 
Or someone closes and the license frees up. Yeah. But usually when that happens, yeah. they actually sell the restaurant. Yeah, the and I, that's something that um, that they allowed us to do a couple years ago is you actually own the licenses now and you can sell your licenses um, or license um, for a hefty amount of money. Yeah, yeah. and they're, they're like, uh, you know, take the New England Patriots selling your season tickets to someone else. That's the kind of fees you're getting for these licenses. It's yeah. insane. Wow. But I tell you, it's there's a lot of backwards laws and regulations that really do affect myself as a restaurateur and, you know, everybody else. And it's just, it's crazy. But, you know, I mean, if you have the will, you can get around it. But at the same time, we're hoping that things change. So what do you think? I mean, I, I know you talked about kind of want to get, out, get out of fine dining, get into a more casual atmosphere. Yeah. What do you think about food trucks? Because they've really taken a big leap forward in the last... I don't know, 10 years. He's got a look. I'm excited to see what he has to say. <laughs> oh, man. You know, um, and I hope I don't offend you or anybody here who has food trucks or anybody out there who has a food truck. You know, I absolutely hate food trucks. And there's a valid reason why I hate food trucks. I grew up in a food truck family. So um, ah. I lived in Illinois. Uh, my parents moved this out to California in the late 80s. Uh, my parents bought a catering truck. And then from then on, they had like a fleet. So every single... Sunday. Not just one, but a fleet. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so is that like a like a cup up size fleet where they have three or four or was it like twenty? It was in the teens. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's a yeah, lot of trucks. Teens. So um you know, as a kid, um I spent every single Sunday at the commissary where all the trucks were parked, washed the trucks, cleaned them inside and out. And we would have to shovel ice into these wheelbarrows and put ice into them. That was my Sunday. You know, while, while all of my friends were out hanging out, playing, that was my Sunday. And, you know, like just to watch my parents. You know, my parents worked from 3 a.m. all the way until like 6 p.m. Um, so they really used that, like, that career as an example for my brother and I to, to study hard in school and, you know, to become a doctor, or a lawyer, or an engineer because that's like what all parents want their kids and to be, you know? So, um, I told myself growing up, there's no way I'd ever want to be in the food industry. <laughs> Hell no. You know? So your hatred for food trucks is you cleaned so many of them in your life. Yeah. You know, and I just see my parents like struggle over it and like just, you know, I mean, like they were always stressed out. They worked even on the weekends when, when, you know, like they had to do all the shopping and all the other stuff. And, you know, our house was always filled with stuff and the garage was never, ever clean because they had, they put so much stuff in there, like, you know, for the food trucks. So, you know, it, it just, it just wasn't fun. You know, um, I'm glad that the food trucks are becoming really hip now, but for me growing up in that business, I just don't get it. Do you think <laughs> it changes people's trips to restaurants and the way they're experience, experiencing food? I don't, I don't think it, it changes, um, people and how they experience food. I think it's just a different avenue, you know, um, just like if you were to go to, a mall and then you go to a food court and get food. You know, this is just another avenue of you getting food. Um, but instead it's mobile. You know, like I just remember the start of like the food truck boom, like maybe about 10 years ago. People were tweeting. Everybody was like kind of like running around just like as if they're chasing Pokemons, right? You know, they're, they're, they're trying to find out where these, <laughs> these, these trucks are like in a park, you know? Um, and I think that's awesome. I think that's great. Well, and like, you were in San Francisco at the time. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and, that that's where food trucks were starting were in the big cities yeah. and i just didn't get it yeah. i'm just like well i think out of sight out of mind 
because we talked to Brandon, uh, Food Truck 88 guy, uh, a few weeks ago. And for him, it was an avenue to be able to start a business that didn't cost as much as a restaurant. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, restaurants are not cheap. To do restaurants are not cheap. Um, obviously, the overhead on a truck is is very, very cheap compared to a restaurant. However, um, there's also a lot of issues with food trucks, too. You know, when the oh, food yeah. truck breaks sure. down... Um, and that's, there's your, a lot, that's their livelihood. That's their livelihood. Yeah. There's a lot of fees involved. There's a lot of costs involved with repairing that. And at the same time, if you're telling your guests that you're going to be here at a certain time and you're not there, that doesn't say, you know. Well, not not only are you not there, but if your food truck breaks down on the way there, now you've got several thousand dollars in food inventory. That is yeah. Just yeah. Food costs. Yeah. So in California, so when my parents started the catering business, they would cater to all the dot-com businesses. And back then... There were you, like six million yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back then, you would have to buy like a, a, a route, um, and you would have the rights to that route. No one else could go in there, um, and if you don't show up, people could people could go in there, you know. So um, just like here, I mean, like if your car breaks down, you know, you're you're, you're pretty much screwed. Um, but at the same time, it's it's, it's great for um, you know for for startups. You know, if if you have a really cool concept that you want, that you really want to try on the public. Um, a food truck is the way to go. You yeah. talk a lot about your parents and you were born in Malaysia, correct? Yes. Um, I overheard you joke and maybe you weren't joking that you don't cook Asian food. Yeah. <laughs> is, <laughs> yeah I, is that just from watching your parents work or uh, by principle or you just wanted to try something different? I think I'm just different. You know, um, growing up Asian... Um, or Asian American, you know, um, our staples basically rice mm. and then there's lots of vegetables and then meat would be more of like a side dish, you know? So I grew up just eating every different Vietnamese dish that you can think of. And that to me became very, very boring. You know, if you were to put a McDonald's hamburger in front of me and a bowl of pho, I could tell you that I would probably take the hamburger over the bowl of pho <laughs> only because of, I already know what the pho tastes like. And I've had it like a hundred million times, you know, whereas like a hamburger, it's just like, you know, like it's, it's not every day that I get to go out and, 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 and eat McDonald's. And this is, this, this is like when I was a kid, not now. Okay. Right. So obviously it's a lot You still have a McDonald's burger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is your, what is your, what is my guilty pleasure? Yes. My guilty pleasure is fried chicken. Not because Popeyes. I'm opening up a fried chicken store, but KFC and Popeye's, those are my two favorite fried chicken um, places. So when you came to Utah, and there was only KFC. How did that make you feel? It was okay. You know, like KFC. <laughs> right. You know, and one of the things I also love too is Church's Chicken. They don't yeah. have it here. They don't yeah. have it. They used to have it in California, and I don't see them anymore. Um, My grandpa, Vegas. when I was a kid, used to get Church's Chicken. He'd flip the chicken breast over, fill the rib cage with salt, and then eat it. Is he still around? No, no he passed oh, away. Oh, man. <laughs> that feels like a healthy salt. Yeah, choice. Not from heart disease or blood pressure, though. He was a lifelong smoker, so that was his problem. So, so he loved salty, salty oh, yeah. chicken. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I want to talk a little bit about, about foraging and your concept. So as, as these guys were talking about when we first started, I, I consider myself an urban farmer. I've got my little farm. I've got my little uh, – I've got bees. I've got a little greenhouse that I made out of recycled. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a farm, not a garden. It's, it's like more his, than just a garden. His entire yard, like – 
they don't do any flowers. So instead of flower beds, I have vegetables. It's got squash awesome. and big cornrows. And- so, so for me, so, so briefly, um, I'm in architecture. That's what I do. And when I was in college many, many years ago, we would talk about sustainability in architecture and design. And I remember it being talked about. But I don't know hardly anybody that actually follows it. It's cool to say, oh, yeah, you you design green, but I don't know very many people that live it. And so I actually try to live it. So so to me, the the whole concept behind foraging is amazing. Can you talk about that just a little bit? I'd love to hear about that. So, you know, uh, originally when when we opened up Forage, it wasn't a foraging type of restaurant. Originally, the name was actually Epule, and I just couldn't think of any other name. And my girlfriend at the time – says, why don't you name it Forage? Because that's all you ever do. Because I grew up as a Boy Scout, and I grew up in California right next to the mountains, so I did a lot of foraging. So foraging became extremely popular in the culinary industry, Yeah, partly due to um, this restaurant called Noma in Copenhagen. Um, so this guy named Rene Redzepi, he, um, he, he brought Scandinavian cuisine and put it back on the map, and it's all based on using local herbs and, 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 and things that he found in the wild. So applying that concept to here... To the wa to, to Salt Lake City, so we're surrounded by the Wasatch Mountain Range. Right, and if you any given time, you could go up to the mountains and find things that are edible, you know, and that's what really excites me uh-huh. because, like, as a as as a restaurant, how do you differentiate yourself from other restaurants? Right. You know, like we obviously want to um, evoke like a time and place, so. A time and place being that, like, you know, like, we're going to use ingredients that are as local as possible, even if we have to hike up to a mountain and, and find it ourselves. Because, like, if these berries grow here, they're not, they're probably not going to grow in California because, right. you know, we're in a different climate. So that was something that we we're able to offer, um, to our guests that was unique to Utah and, 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 and to forage. But, you know, foraging is just, you know, to me, it's, it's like treasure hunting. You know, yeah. I, I have so many foraging books. I've taken foraging classes and, like, you never really know what you're going to find. You know, and to me, that's what excites me. And at the same time, it gets me out in nature. And, you know, I, I, I consider myself as like an empath and I take in a lot of people's energy and it exhausts me. And <laughs> I need to get out there to kind of like reset myself and like be one with nature and just being out there. You know, you, I get a lot of, um, inspiration from just being out in the field and the forest and the stream well, and, and the water and being able to use things that are local. It's it's good for your allergies, Josh. If you eat <laughs> local produce, local honey. I've got some of his honey upstairs. If you want some, it's it's good for your health. I mean, it's yeah. a healthy thing. Plus, yeah. it's self it's self sustaining. How many people go to the grocery store and just assume everything will always be there? Yeah, and they don't even know where it comes from. Yeah, they have no clue. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. they're not in touch with any of that. So, being able to to forage, being able to so like I have my my beehives, and so I harvest uh, honey a couple times throughout the season that's just to me that's amazing yeah speaking yeah. of that honey i don't want to interrupt but uh <laughs> i could use some more we did harvest two <laughs> weeks ago <laughs> but you every time so your instagram you live that though you're always outside cooking yeah. whether it's fish or you have some type of you know branch with you know <laughs> with the leaves it's it's really cool to watch yeah you know like one of the things that i that i've really learned to love um is cooking over fire it's it's very primal and everybody does it you know like everybody has a barbecue everybody like has, has that weekend warrior mode they go you know you go in your barbecue pit and you just throw some burgers or a steak on there, That's but, there but there's so much of a science that goes with fire cooking you know um you have to really understand like the embers, the ashes and knowing how to manipulate them and cooking on fire to me, you know, you could use 
a lot of traditional methods of cooking, such as, you know, roasting, sautéing, steaming, any of that stuff. And, like, you get a certain flavor and texture, but when you cook over a fire, you get, you know, flavors and textures that you can't achieve through traditional methods right. of cooking. You know, um, just, you know, like, for me as a cook, you know, it isn't about doing all of these techniques or applying all these different flavors and textures. It's about really single-handedly trying to find three or four ingredients and find a way to harmonize them, but also find a way to bring out like the deepest point of flavor, such as like we could use something as simple and as humble as a turnip or a beet. Right. You know, a lot of people don't like these root vegetables, but if you treat them like a piece of meat and you cook them in such a way where you're constantly, you know, like you're, 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 you're paying attention to it, you can get flavors and textures just like meat. And it's going to, honestly tastes better than meat right you know so so what i love to do is we 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 eat out of our garden so all summer um we dutch i use dutch ovens so i'll do dutch i have a a big fire pit in my backyard and we'll stack two three dutch ovens yeah and we'll cook everything from our garden so we'll have potatoes from our garden we'll have beets we'll have squash uh onions and we'll cook with things out of our garden and like you said cooking in a fire and or a dutch oven something you've grown yourself you can't get that you just can't get that anywhere else yeah you know like just the flavors that you get from your own garden or even from the mountains it's not like the stuff that you get from the supermarkets i cooked an egg over a fire once that was awesome (laughs) did it explode no no like i like took it out of the shell and cooked it on the fire it was awesome yeah you get like a little bit of that smokiness and all that and it's great but yeah so speaking of outdoor cooking um or a show on Food Network called Camp Cutthroat. I think you'd be a good contestant, maybe Camp for that. <laughs> Without <laughs> Alan Brown, Camp, yeah, you know, I, I, I've, I've never seen the episode. Oh, it's um, so funny. And they do like it's an annual thing, right? Like, yeah, yeah they, they, every huh? season. they just put out their second one. Yeah, yeah, um, I've, I've never, I've never done it, but I've heard about it, and yeah, I, so it's something that I feel like. So I, I have to ask real ass. quick: how, how is Bobby Flay? Bobby Flay is one of my favorite chefs on Food Network. So. Um, I have so, a lot of respect for the guy. How do you know Bobby Flay? Because I don't people, know. That wait all a minute. Do people always expect you to like say disparaging things about him? Because, yeah, because he like, really is awesome. You know, before I met Bobby Flay, I mean, he he looks like a like an arrogant, pompous I think, chef. He's like, I think he's that's like a, why he's like a dick, you know. But he's just he's very confident in what he's doing. You know, um, this is a guy who literally dropped out of high school. He doesn't have like a college education and, or at least I, I don't think he does from what I heard. Um, you know, when he's on TV, he's on TV, but when he's out on TV, like when he's not on TV, he's in his restaurant cooking, you know, um, he's like a chef's chef, you know, um, I have a lot of respect for him because he still cooks. He's not just a television personality. Like, you know, he has cooking chops. Which That's is awesome. Good. Yeah, he's still he's still passionate about it. Yeah, he's still very passionate about it. Yeah, uh, in fact, he has a restaurant that he opened a couple years ago, or one of his newest ones called Gato. I think it's in the Lower East Side. It's an it's an awesome restaurant. So, uh, you know, other than Bobby Flay and your experience on uh, what's that next Food Network star, uh, what other what other shows have you done? So the first show that I did. Um, is it was called Extreme Chef, and there was basically I think eight of us, and we had to cook in obscure places without equipment, without knives, utensils, and we had to forage for things. And basically, you know, we 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 had challenges in the Mojave Desert, in um, the Salton Sea, which is in California. 
Uh, we filmed in southern and northern Thailand. I was the runner-up. Uh, it was an awesome show because really it's not about the drama. It was just about your cooking chops and your ingenuity, your MacGyverism, <laughs> you know, um, and those are the things that I really do well in. You know, one of the things that I, I, I've learned about myself um, with uh, these television shows is that I work really well under pressure. Uh, so I did that show. Then I did um, uh, Iron Chef America and then um, Next Food Network Star. And then I did a show called Kitchen Inferno. Um, I did another show on NBC and I totally forget what it was called. And So how did you get into these shows? Because, I mean, this is a this is a kid that... Worked for a few years in a restaurant, then went to banking and yeah. software, moved to Utah in <laughs> some insane fashion. How'd you get into the, the TV side of it? So, first and foremost, I'm not an actor, and I didn't grow up wanting to be on TV. You know, this kind of just happened by chance. So, um, I don't know if you remember earlier when I mentioned when I worked at the fifth floor, I was holding a magazine, the Food & Wine magazine, and my chef was Best New Chef. Uh, which is a really big deal because each year this national magazine just picks 10 chefs across the country. And um, they're like basically the most exciting up-and-coming chefs. Is that the magazine that you were recognized in yeah. eventually? So in 2011, <laughs> awesome. um, I got Food & Wine Magazine's Best New Chef, and that literally put me on the radar. So, you know... Well, and, um, and as Josh would say if he were, were in the room right now... <laughs> You do have a face for TV. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's true. Thank you. Thank you. We'll post that all over our blog. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, Food Network contacted me in 2011, asked if I could, would be interested in doing um, Extreme Chef. And at that time, I had obligations with Food and Wine magazine. So I said no. And then they came back the following year, asked me if I would be, be interested. And it was a different format. So I said, what the hell? You know, let's just let's do it and get our name out there get the restaurant's name out there and hopefully we'll drive in more business and from then on that first show that i did um one of the judges uh he's also on um elton brown's show what was that show called again which Cut one kitchen cutthroat kitchen oh, yeah. his name is uh, simon majumdar he's oh, yeah, a, yeah. the british oh, yeah. indian guy he's awesome so he's actually my mentor he um oh i love him he told his manager about me and then his manager came out and visited me and then ultimately signed me on to um their agency rain management uh group so, um, yeah, Simon has been an awesome mentor. Um, from then on, my manager's gotten me on to all these different shows. Yeah, and what it's been you, a blast. What shows do you have coming up? So I just recently um, got my own gig with National Geographic. Uh, the show is called Fusion Forager. Um, we finished our first episode in uh, Malaysia. So it was a part documentary, part travel, food, and adventure show. Um, it airs sometime in September. <laughs> I really don't remember when. That's just around the corner. Yeah, yeah. that's just right around the corner. Um, but it's going to be a National Geographic. And uh, the premise of the show is basically uh, they bring myself into um, a country, a different city, or whatever it is. I learn about the people, the culture, the food. Um, and then at the end of each show, I do a dinner fusing... Um, Western techniques and ingredients with local ingredients. And we basically do a dinner and we invite people to it and we uh, collect donations and all the money and the proceeds goes to like a local charity. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. That kind of makes me think of, um, so I'm a big soccer fan. Toronto in their stadium this last weekend had cricket hot dogs. So they had hot dogs and on top of them was a, uh, a, a crisp, like deep like fried cricket. cricket. Oh. Um, that was covered in like chili pepper or, and lime and yeah. cilantro. It's you know, that's, that's like, that's like the new biggest thing. It's like the food of our future, Crickets. you know, um, Bugs. 
there's uh there's they they sell cricket powder that mm-hmm. you can buy. I I think there's a local company here that does cricket protein bars. The rest of the world yeah. lives off of it. It's just us yeah. Americans that yeah. think it's gross, but yeah. it's not. It's full of protein. Yeah. It's very good for you. Yeah, I mean it's like it's like. Eighty percent protein. Well, think know. of how much different Utah would be if we would have just eaten the crickets. Or if we'd have just eaten the crickets <laughs> instead of instead of having the California seagull do it for us. I know, right? <laughs> do you have someone that somewhere that you are hoping they will send you? You know, I would like um, to go back to Vietnam. I've been to Vietnam four times, but um, every single time that I've been there, I, I was a kid. You know, and food really wasn't my thing. Now that I'm a cook. Um, I really want to go out there and learn more about my culture and Vietnamese cooking because, you know, like there's a point in your career where you want to find things that really resonate with who you are. Um, and also you want to get perspective, you know, um, you'll, you'll, you'll hear about cooks going on like a sabbatical. They'll just take a month off and they'll travel around the world. Um, for me, you know, being a Vietnamese and not really liking to eat Vietnamese food, um, growing up, but now I do. Um, I want to learn more about it. You know, my mom's getting older, you know, she's, she's still spunky as hell, but you know, there's, there's, there's going to be a day where my mom's not going to be around and, um, I want to be able to carry on that legacy. So, you know, I'm excited to say, you know, one of the first Vietnamese ingredients or Asian ingredients that I've started to use is fish sauce, which is like one of the most like, you know, like if you don't know the ingredient, it's just like very vile. It's just like, man, who could use this stuff? But it's an amazing product. Um, but yeah, so I would love to go to Vietnam. I would love, I would love to learn more about the food, the ingredients, the culture, and just from everybody that has visited, you know, Southeast Asia, you know, Vietnam is like on top of the list. So now you've done a lot of traveling, obviously. Yeah. So we need to know your best food, your worst food, your grossest food, and what you really yearn to go back and have again. The worst food that I've had. <laughs> okay. It's usually the one that sticks out, right? <laughs> yeah. So I was, um, this was three years ago. Uh, I was, um, contracted with Food and Network, uh, with, with Food and Wine magazine to teach a bunch of classes all throughout, um, Europe. And I was in Estonia and I had, um, braised beaver with a beaver gravy and on top of that <laughs> was beaver. like um it was like some type of like a uh, fish roe like it was like a salmon or a trout roe but it was just super fishy uh the beaver you know like i i know that a lot of people in the united states especially in the south or maybe in the midwest they eat a lot of beaver and mm-hmm. beaver is supposed to be good the beaver that i had it tasted like <laughs> i mean like if if i were to taste like a, a can of dog food that's what it tasted like oh. it, it, it was mushy it had no texture it was uh. absolutely disgusting um, one of the other things that I don't like, um, is, uh, something called balut, which is, uh, it's a Filipino I've, I've had it. Yeah. You like, you like that stuff? <laughs> I, I didn't got, say I like it, but I've had I, it. I gotta show you some pictures. <laughs> you, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm really, so like, for those of you who do not know, who, who doesn't know what balut is, is basically, it's a fertilized duck egg. And they also sell fertilized chicken Oh, eggs. they're all over. You can get them on 90s. <laughs> yeah. You, you can freeway. go to any Asian market and you'll see them in there. Still not good. But basically, I, I'm not sure how long they are, but basically, you buy the egg, you go home, and you boil it or steam it, and then you crack the egg, and then, you have the embryo in yeah. there. You, well, the, you, you the have duck to develop is, duck. The duck is just shy of hatching. Yeah, depending on what stage is. Usually, I want to say it has to be like halfway. The one you know? I had was pretty close. <laughs> but yeah, so you, know, you crack this egg, and then you you don't really see the duck right away, but there's like this juice in there, and, and then you're supposed to sip it, and it, 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 it tastes like one of the best 
chicken soups you'll ever have. But then you get into like the egg itself, and that's when you're taking out the chicken or the duck, and literally there's like feathers, uh-huh. the bone and the beak, and you the eat beak. all of that. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, um, it's it's not crunch or anything. It's just it's all really soft, you know. But to me, that's just like it's messed up. So you're not like. <laughs> You're not pooping out like a rat pellet, like, like the Alistair, <laughs> no, <right>? man. <laughs> no, but like you know, like I, I, I respect you know the people that eat it. You know, I, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's the. So about, I just can't eat it. What about the best thing you've ever had? The best thing that I've ever had. That's a. That's gonna be a tough one. Um, the best food that I've had. You know, um, recently I was in uh, Vancouver, and I went to this. Um, Cambodian restaurants and this Cambodian restaurant specialize in Vietnamese food. And for those of you who don't know, um, Vietnam borders Cambodia and there's a lot of uh, Cambodian and Vietnamese influences. So, um, one of my all time favorite dishes growing up that my mom makes, um, are Vietnamese crepes, basically. So they're savory crepes mm-hmm. and, um, crepes, uh, I think they came from the French when the French colonized Vietnam. So there's a lot of French influences in Vietnamese cooking, but, uh, what, um, what what a Vietnamese crepe is is basically it's like this crispy crepe um, that's folded in with like bean sprouts, um, with pork, with scallions, and all these things. And basically, it's like a pancake. They they fold it in half like a taco, and then basically you would have all these fresh greens, um, mint, um, uh, basil, all these different type of herbs, and then you just basically cut off a little piece, put it into the lettuce and all the herbs, and then you roll it up like an egg roll. And then you dip it into um, like a spicy sauce and you eat it. So you get all that crunch, the textures. It's really amazing. Like this was like probably the best um, Vietnamese crepe that I've ever had, which is also which which is known as bun sao. And I had to tell my mom because you know up until then my mom's crepe was like the best, you know. And I told my mom we have to go back to Vancouver and try it out. But uh, yeah, that was probably my favorite. Yeah, Vancouver's a really good food place. Yeah, actually. it's an up and coming food place. A lot of really yeah. good. They have Japadog there. I don't know if you've ever had. I know you're having a version of food carts and food trucks, but Japa Dog is, is it Japa Dog or is it Hoppa Dog? Uh, Japa Dog. They Japa always dog. say Japa Dog. Okay, Japa Dog. Man, those things are. Amazing. It's like so. It's it's basically a hot dog with um, Japanese it's, ingredients. Yeah, so it'll like have condiments. It'll have seaweed and all kinds of stuff. But it's really good hot dogs, high quality hot dogs. And yeah, polo sausages, yeah. that sort of thing. But very Japanese in terms of the condiments, and they have like mayonnaise, like Japanese mayonnaise. Yeah, have you yeah. ever had Jap? Like, do you like Japanese mayonnaise? Oh yeah, absolutely. QP, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard of that. Yeah, QP is the bomb. <laughs> yeah, so they're all over Vancouver. That's yeah. I think where they started. Yeah, but I was just down in uh, L.A. a couple weeks ago, and there was a Japa dog vendor on the Santa Monica Pier. Hmm, hmm. That's so awesome. they're invading. Yeah, Japa dog. I got to try it out next time. It's it's definitely worth it. Uh, one of the best things I had up there, and I, I'm a big food person. So, uh, where can people find you? Uh, so my address is. I'm just <laughs> Good because I'm coming over to Forge with you. So uh, you can find me um, on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, my handle is v p h a m s v fams. Um, I have a fan page on Facebook and you know, I'm, I'm out and about, you know, I'm, I'm at your favorite watering hole. Um, I do a lot of food events here in Salt Lake City. I was just, uh, I just attended an event that Jessica was at the, the Wasatch, the Wasatch International, um, oh, yeah. food festival, which was, uh, which was an awesome turnout for, especially for the first event. Uh, but I'm usually out and about downtown, you know, like one of my favorite bars is Bar X. Um, hey, Bar X. Beer bar. I, I worked on that bar with Ty Burrell. Um, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm all over the place. Um, but, you know, hopefully, 
you'll catch me over at um, Pretty Bird. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we do have one last question. Sure. We ask everyone this question. Uh, what's the one thing you would tell someone visiting Utah that they had to do before leaving? You know, you have to get out and hike. Explore the mountains. You know, I I told myself originally when I first moved here that five years is going to be the maximum amount of years that I'm going to stay here and I'm going to go back to California. That because was three, eight years ago? Exactly. You know, like, I'm an ocean guy. <laughs> um, but, you know, the mountains is where I, I, I find my refuge. Um, it's so beautiful. You know, the air is clean. There's uh, there's so many different hiking spots. There's rivers. There's waterfalls. There's lakes that you can go to all within a day's reach. Uh, you know, we're not talking about the national parks down south, but just right here in the Wasatch Mountain Range, Big Cottonwood, Little Cottonwood, um, Mill Creek. What's your favorite, favorite hiking trail in, in Utah? My favorite hike... You could probably see me there almost every other weekend is Lake Blanche. That's on Milby South, um, up in Big Cottonwood. Uh, one of the reasons why I like it there is because one, it's a, it's a, it's a really challenging hike. They tell you that it's moderate, but it's a really challenging hike. Um, it's a three and a half mile hike. You get up there. Uh, the views are amazing. Um, and there's three lakes up there. And oftentimes you'll probably see moose up there. Uh, I love fishing. Um, that lake up there, I've caught 20 brook trouts in one day. Wow. You know, um, it's a great lake to fish, uh, and it's also a great lake to, to camp at, too. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, our guest again tonight was uh, Viet Pham. Can you come back after Pretty Bird? Of course. Yeah. I'll come back, and I'll make fried chicken here for you guys. Oh, yeah. How about that? I had it, you guys. It's really good. That's what we'll do. We'll do, like, a little food demo. Yeah, we can bring the show to you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah we can yeah. come to the restaurant. We'll come and, in and yeah. just sit down and and uh, and uh, we'll do a show there and I'll feed you guys. Heck yeah, that sounds good yeah. to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's gonna do it for uh, tonight. Um, Where can people find us? Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the New Utah Podcast and on Twitter at TNU Podcast uh, or our website, thenewutah.wordpress.com. And if you want to see links to any of the stuff we talked about, uh, Twitter handles, things like that, they're all on the website. Jess does an amazing job with it. And uh, I'd ask Josh to say goodnight. But, yeah, but uh, we've lost him. We lost he's, his He's nose. down for the count. <laughs> I think the uh, alcohol allergies. His drunk allergies. <laughs> yeah, his allergies, right? Uh, well, I mean, he, he definitely seemed like he was all congested. So. Yeah. Well, in that case, just get the fuck out of my house then. <laughs> All right. <laughs>